Chapter thirty five of Seeing Things at Night. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn. Seeing Things at Night by Haywood Brune. Deborah. Theatre goers who have lived through two or more generations invariably complain that the stage isn't what it used to be mostly they mourn for a school of drama in which emotion flowered more luxuriantly than in the usual run of plays to-day about life in country stores and city flats the one thought in which these playgoers of another day take comfort is that even if we had such drama now there would be no one who could act it but deborah is such a play and lionel atwell must be some such one as those who figure in the speeches of our older friends when they say ah but when you never saw sasha gitri who wrote deborah is alive yes indeed even more than that for he lives in paris and lionel atwell is a young actor whose greatest previous success in new york was achieved in the realistic drama of ibsen now it is possible for us to turn upon the elders and say to them it is not for want of ability that this age of ours doesn't do your old-style plays we could if we would go and see deborah and lionel atwell of course even in this verse play of the tragic life of a french actor of the early nineteenth century there are modern touches for all the fact that atwell is able to rise now and again to a carefully contrived situation and to develop it into a magnificent moment of ringing voice and sweeping gesture he is also able to do the much greater and more exciting thing of making deborah seem at times a man and not a great character in a play he is able to make deborah actor dead man frenchman seem the common fellow of us all and yet more wonderful lionel atwell succeeds in doing this even in scenes during which the author is pitching rhymed couplets around his neck as if he were no man at all but nothing more than one of the posts in a game of quats i find it difficult to believe that anybody's heart is breaking when he expresses his emotion in carefully carpentered rhyme trained in art from my cradle did you say well i hadn't a cradle but anyway if you bid me recall those things here goes though i've tried hard enough to forget them god knows when people on the stage begin to speak in this fashion the persuasive air of reality is seldom present it is with atwell he is careful not to accentuate the beat sometimes i am almost persuaded during his performance that it isn't poetry at all when i watch him verse is forgotten but i have only to close my eyes to hear the deep and steady rumble of the beat which thumps beneath the play atwell is a man standing on top of a volcano so great is his unconcern that you may accept it as extinct but sooner or later you will know better for by and by with a terrifying roar off goes the head of the mountain in an eruption of rhyme Atwell is not the only modern note in an old-fashioned play by a young man of today. Our forefathers may be speaking the truth when they tell us that in their day all the actors were nine or ten feet tall and spoke in voices slightly suggestive of Caruso at his best, 
but our forefathers never saw such a production as David Belasco has given to Deborah. No one knew in those days of the wonders which could be achieved with light. Nobody then could have shown us in the twinkling of an eye the front of Deborah's tiny theatre, then the interior of the theatre itself, and finally, with only a passing moment of darkness, carry the stage of the theatre within a theatre forward, and set it down in front of the audience, greatly grown by its journey. In Sacha Guitry's play about Jean-Baptiste Gaspard Deborah, we see this famous clown and pantomimist who brought all Paris to his tiny theatre some hundred years ago in the midst of a performance. We hear the applause of his audience, and then after a bit we see the man himself rid of his Pierrot garb in his white grease paint. He is introduced to us as an exceedingly modest young genius who deplores the fact that he has become hated by his fellow players because of the applause heaped upon him by the critics. Nor is he any better pleased when fair ladies wait to see him after a performance to press their attentions upon him. For them he has invented a formula of repulse. After a moment or so he produces a miniature from his pocket and remarks, Pretty, isn't it? When the fair lady agrees, he adds, It's a picture of my wife. I should so like to have you meet her. But one night Deborah meets a lady much fairer than any of the others, and this time he forgets to show her the miniature. In the second act we find that he is madly in love with her, while she, although she is touched by his devotion, has outgrown her fancy for the actor. It is Deborah who christens her the lady with the camellias, for she is Marie Duplessis, better known to us as Camille. Returning home for the first time in a week, Deborah finds his wife has left him, and, gathering up his bird, his dog, and his little son, he goes to the house of Marie, hoping there to find welcome and consolation. Instead, he finds another lover, Armand Duval, who is to make Marie one of the great heroines of emotional drama. Seven years pass before the next act begins, and now we find Deborah old, broken, and disheartened. He has left the theatre and lives tended only by his son, who has grown to be a lively youngster of seventeen. Somewhat to his chagrin, he finds that the boy is eager to become an actor, and this emotion changes to anger when he learns that his son has studied all his roles and hopes to make a debut in Paris simply as Deborah. He is not to be brushed aside in such a cavalier fashion. There is only one Deborah, he declares, and there will be only one until he dies. To the garret, then, comes Marie Duplessis, truant through all the seven years, but the joy of Deborah is short-lived. He finds that she has not come back because she loves him, but because she is sorry for him. She has come with her doctor. Still, after Marie has gone and Deborah has been left alone with the physician, he finds unexpected consolation for his weary spirit. The physician finds no physical ailment. The trouble, he declares, is a nervous one. For that he can do little. Some magic other than medicine is needed. He suggests books, painting, nature, but to each Deborah shakes a weary head. They don't interest him. The theatre, the doctor continues, is perhaps the best hospital of all. There are one or two actors, he tells Deborah, who are greater than any doctors in their power to bring merriment and new life to tired men. Who, 
asks the sick man, and the doctor tells him of Deborah and his great act. Yes, by all means, Deborah is the man he should see. No sooner has the doctor left than Deborah calls for his hat and his stick. He will no longer sit idle while the inferior men play his parts. He is going back to the theatre. There we find him in the last act, in the middle of a performance in one of his most fabulous roles, but his old grace and agility are gone. When the audience should weep at laughs, and there are tears instead of smiles for his decrepit attempts at comedy. Finally he is hissed and booed, and, after he has made a dumb speech of farewell, the curtain is rung down. The manager is in a panic. Somebody else must be put forward. It is quite evident that Deborah is gone. In the crisis the old actor begs a favor. His son, he tells the manager, knows all his roles. Why not let the audience have a new Deborah, a young Deborah? Then, as the company gathers about to listen, the old man makes up the boy for his part, and as he does so he tells him in a few simple words the secrets of the fundamentals of the art of acting. Presently the drum of the barker is heard outside the theatre, and the audience hears him announce that Deborah the Great will give way to a greater Deborah, a Deborah more agile, more comic, more tragic. Then the terrified boy is pushed out upon the stage and the play begins. By an ingenuous device of David Belasco, all our attention is focused upon the old man, who is listening and watching the performance of his successor, which we see only dimly through gauze curtains, but we hear the laughter and the shouts and the cheers. The new Deborah is a success, a triumph. The noise comes more faintly to our ears, and we see only the old Deborah standing listening, as from the house which has just hissed him, there comes a wild acclaiming shout for his successor of Deborah, Deborah. The old man does not know whether he should laugh or cry, and so he cries. End of chapter 35